Welcome to On Strategy Showcase. This is Ferguson, Chicago. Today we talk with uh, Lucky Generals, Laz Horner, who was a strategist in their London office. And this was a campaign that I had come across previously. It's for Taylors of Harrogate, which is a British brand. And they're a uh, coffee maker, coffee purveyor. And the brand had uh, come up with the idea of launching coffee bags. Now, in American culture, this might seem a little unusual, but in British culture, where tea is sort of the popular drink of choice, hot drink of choice, coffee bags is not an unusual concept. It's not a something that requires a significant change in behavior. The tea bag has been around for centuries, and there's, I think, over, and I think it's over a couple of billion uh, uh, tea bags used each year in the United Kingdom. But what's interesting about this and and why I I really wanted to point it out and do an episode around it, it's the idea that um, the power of the obvious needs not to be dismissed when we're developing strategy. I don't know if, if many of you strategists out there have come across this, but I know it's happened to me in the past when I present a strategy or a series of strategic directions and, and there's sort of a, a reaction in the creative group that's just sort of doesn't seem to have a lot of energy around it. And, and it's because there's a very obvious issue that hasn't been thought of. And many times the creatives will come up with that obvious alternative strategy that because we're so excited about creating new, uh, that we tend to, as strategists, maybe forget. And this is a classic example of that. Laz and the, uh, the team had developed four or five different strategic directions. Each were very strong and very valid, as you'll hear. But then as they began to explore them with creative, creative kept coming back to this nagging question. And it's that nagging question that made things really interesting in this case study. The work, the creative work is great. You can see the creative work on our website on strategyshowcase.com. And there's a very interesting twist towards the end of the conversation, uh, which was really kind of classic and a brilliant save from the strategists. And before we get started, I wanted to mention also that On Strategy Freelance is open, I suppose, open. And if you're if you're a full-time or a, or a, uh, or a part-time freelance strategist, and that could be in the world of social. It could also be in brand. It could be in comms. It, it's really all of these, these aspects of it. Please go to the site on strategyshowcase.com under the freelancer tab on the homepage and register your, uh, your details. It takes about two minutes. And what's happening is that we are now going to be going out to agencies and fielding freelance requests from agencies uh, who want talent. And so if you can just give us a little bit of sense about your background, answer some of the questions, it takes two minutes, and then we'll be sending out freelance alerts to freelancers around the world. And it's open to our freelancers at every level. We're kind of kickstarting this off. We're excited about the potential for it. We'll work out some of the kinks as we get as we get things ramped up, but would love to have you be a part of it if you're a strategist, a freelancer uh, around the world. So this is Laz Horner from Lucky Generals in London talking about Taylor's coffee bags. Enjoy. So welcome, Laz. It's great to have you here, man. I'm, I'm excited and have been for the last couple of weeks to record this show. Um, you guys do amazing work at, uh, at Lucky Generals. You're in the London office. There's also a New York office, and you guys are part of the uh, TBWA network and the part of Omnicom and and, and one of the things, you know, I've had Andy Naren on in an earlier episode, we were talking about the Amazon Alexa work and we were talking about his, his new book, uh, Go Luck Yourself. Uh, we had a great conversation. And, you know, as I said to him, it's just amazing that some of the work that we see uh, here in the U.S., and I think this is increasingly becoming the reality, and I think it's part of being a part of a great network, but it is all about brilliant ideas, brilliant strategy, is the fact that 
you know, when we look at the Amazon Alexa work here, the Super Bowl spots here, typically these spots you would think were done by uh, US-based shops, when in reality, these guys in London are doing all of this amazing uh, Amazon Alexa work. And, uh, and I also, I would encourage people to check out Lucky Generals and look at the amazing work from places like Co-op, uh, also for Yorkshire Tea, and which is just the greatest stuff I've seen a lot, particularly that that socially distanced teapot mm. is just amazing work. Uh, and so I think you guys should be amazingly proud of what you guys are doing, uh, and, and I think it's uh, it's it's really brilliant. Uh, so you uh, you're with Lucky Generals in London. We're going to be talking today about uh, uh, Taylor's coffee bags. And I think the way that you and I have talked about this is that there's almost a theme here for planners to learn from, um, which, of course, we're not generally excited about the idea of, of the power of the obvious. But that sort of is the theme of this case that we're going to talk about today, right? Yeah, that's right. Thanks for having me on, uh, Fergus. It's uh, nice to make it. I've been a long-time listener, so it's nice to finally make it on. I, um, I think this, the reason this case is so interesting is that as planners, we are a bit afraid of the obvious, aren't we? Because we sort of justify our value by trying to create a, a very unexpected leap uh, or a pivot um, or making a kind of radical sharp turn. So when something seems obvious, it, it perhaps scares us a little bit uh, as a strategy. But of course, you know, when, when people say, you know, something is obvious, that often actually means it's really good. Uh, it means, you know, it should have occurred to them before. Um, and I think as planners, perhaps this case teaches us that maybe on occasion we need to we need to be OK with embracing the obvious um, uh, as we did in this case. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about uh, about Taylor's. So tell us tell us about Taylor's. What is it? Uh, where is it sold? Yeah. OK, well, um, Taylor's of, Taylor's of Harrogate is actually the full name of the company. Um, they're based in Harrogate, which is a small town in in yorkshire this is the the company that also produce yorkshire tea which you you mentioned earlier but but their original product and the one that's named after them is is coffee and it's um it's roast and ground coffee so i guess in the us the equivalent would be i don't know a bag of ground coffee you might buy from starbucks or Folgers, um, and you use that coffee in filter machines or uh, cafetiers or french presses i think uh, the French pressed coffee that is called over there, yeah. um, and it's and and Taylor's is sort of relatively premium. It's kind of middle of the market to the to the top end of the market. Um, it's about three pounds sterling a, a bag, and they have um, a market leading share, although it's quite a fragmented market. So I think they have about eleven percent share um, of a kind of half a billion pound market in the UK. And, and are they? How are they? Are they distributed through grocery stores, or that they have yeah, their own exactly retail that. outlets? Yeah, exactly that grocery stores. So supermarkets, we would call them. But basically, the majority of sales are through the big UK uh, supermarkets. There's sort of five or six big chains that account for um, pretty much all the sales. And then you would also find them in in small convenience stores as well. And so, who are the competitors? Well, obviously, as you probably know, as probably. The same as the US, we've obviously had a huge explosion in coffee culture over the last kind of twenty years, yeah. um, driven, of course, by the high street chains, and actually also in in Europe by the kind of European um, 
uh, appeal of coffee. So people going on holidays and experiencing different kinds of coffee in Italy or in other cultures. Um, so the competitors are a mix of retailers own, which obviously is fairly big in this in this market, like like many others. But then the brands would be um, high street brands. So Starbucks is is sold in supermarkets here. They sell their coffee in supermarkets here, and Costa Coffee, which is um, Costa are a Starbucks-like chain in in Europe, um, so they would sell their brand of, of coffee. Um, and then you've got the Italian coffees, so Lavazza and Illy, which are kind of um, coffees that you would find in a in a small coffee shop in Italy or in a kind of Italian-themed restaurant. Um, and then you have a bunch of much smaller, I guess you'd call them like craft coffees, so the small kind of um, locally produced or very high-end. Uh, esoteric coffees are also now coming through so it's quite a cluttered market quite a busy market and a market that's seen a huge amount of growth and action um as i say in the last kind of couple of decades if you're a starbucks customer or you're or you're buying a bag of roasted at the grocery store um you're, you're never really exclusively a roasted you know at home uh, consumer of coffee you kind of you kind of you, you might have one in the afternoon from starbucks but then in the morning you might be uh, you know, using some roasted grounds at home. Is, is that the way you think about it when you look at a target audience? Or, or, or do you sort of move around from different use occasions or are you dedicated to one type of coffee that you drink or the, or the way you prepare it? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, actually, I think that goes to the heart of, of Taylor's kind of business problem, actually, um, in that people do now drink coffee in in multiple ways, and in formats, um, so drink types that they wouldn't have drunk, you know, 10, 20 years ago. So the frothy coffees of the high street, the cappuccinos, the lattes, et cetera. Um, and as you say, they drink it on the go and they drink it at home and they drink it at work. So, so coffee has become a much more complicated thing. Um, and actually, that, that that is what sort of where Taylor's issue has come from, because the brand basically became famous and, and a kind of staple of British store cupboards in the 1980s and 90s, when coffee in the UK was predominantly still a kind of after dinner or weekend drink, when people would make it using a French press or a filter machine, and they would have that on, on the go at home. Um, and so it was associated with kind of uh, lazy, slowing down kind of luxurious occasions the evening or as i say a, a sunday morning in fact tailors have a product called lazy sunday a blend called lazy sunday which is literally you know supposed to be drunk you know sitting in your garden on a sunday morning and and the brand tailors has all because it became so successful through those moments it's still largely kind of associated with those methods of making coffee the cafetiere um, or, or the filter machine and therefore those kind of slow down moments and the truth is the people who still drink most of their coffee that way are now quite a lot older they're 65 um, 70 years old in some cases um, whereas you've got this huge swathe of new uh, coffee consumers coming through who are kind of now in their 30s 40s who grown up on those high street coffee moments drinking it on the go drinking frothy coffees um, and Taylor's, therefore, doesn't sort of really feel like the brand for them. Yeah, it really is interesting that you bring that up about the coffee being sort of a weekend occasion, because it, it seems to me that it was that what you drank during the week was tea, and then what you had on the weekend or after dinner was coffee. Is is that kind of that's the way I remember it when I because I grew up in Dublin, Ireland. Oh, yeah, I kind yeah. of remember that the tea was the everyday thing, yeah. and coffee, and 
and I think it maybe goes to the, the, the core of this case, which is how easy it was to make tea, but it took a little more investment in process to make coffee. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, if you look at the, um, the kind of fortunes of the coffee market versus the fortunes of the tea market in the UK, they are kind of a, a, a crosshair, as in one line goes up, the other line goes down. So tea has been in sort of gradual uh, decline in the UK. It's still huge. You know, we still drink, I think, three billion cups of tea a year as a nation. But um, but it's in slow decline and, and the coffee's been in, in rapid growth because, as you say, uh, lots of consumers now drink coffee on those kind of on-the-go occasions when they previously would have had a cup of tea, yeah. So you have a brand that has got a pretty strong business with roasted and maybe maybe instant or, you know, well, maybe roasted. We'll talk, we'll talk roasted for now. So there, for roasted coffee, bought in a store, um, um, the client then comes to you. What is the problem that the client presents Lucky Generals with? Well, they were... They were um, quite clear that they had this this issue of an aging consumer base who associate them with these um more kind of slowed down occasion traditional coffee occasions i guess you'd call them so the after dinner or the the cafetiere moment of the weekend and they had um been trying to work out what product format to bet on to bring new cohorts of consumers into the brand um they, they felt they needed a new product format rather than just kind of remarketing a blend. Um, and and they had actually been investigating uh, and, and even had a, an early trial of um, coffee pods. So Nespresso-compatible coffee pods for use in Nespresso machines, which a few different brands were sort of toying with in the UK. Um, but there were a few problems with those. The first one being uh, Nespresso control the technology, so you are kind of slightly hostage to fortune um, to their business um, and then and secondly obviously and perhaps more importantly for Taylor's which is a family-owned business very ethical values they just didn't like how unsustainable they were you know that they are bad for the environment it's very difficult to recycle and it's very difficult to make recyclable coffee pods so they decided to get out of coffee pods and then they had brought to us this new format which they were saying that this is our new bet for how we can reach a younger coffee consumer uh, who's kind of more on the go. Um, and it was coffee bags. Explain for, for listeners, what are coffee bags? Yeah. Well, the simplest way of putting it is they are basically tea bags, but with coffee in them. Um, and they'd actually been trialed in the UK uh, and sort of, sort of badly launched and failed a few times over the decades. I think the first attempt to launch them was by a brand back in kind of the 1980s. They never really caught fire. Um, and, and perhaps you could argue partly because we're so used to tea coming in bags that the idea of coffee in bags perhaps, you know, through us. But um, they are, as a product format, they are effectively exactly that. It's a slightly larger bag than a tea bag um, with slightly different material because you need slightly different material to hold the, the ground coffee inside. It is ground coffee. It's not instant coffee. Tailors don't do instant coffee and don't believe in instant coffee. They don't believe the quality will ever be good enough. So it's freshly ground coffee that's then sealed in the tea bag and you pour hot water onto it you need to give it a little bit longer than a tea bag it takes kind of a couple of minutes and you need to squash it against the cup a bit longer but it basically works exactly like a tea bag and they um tailors had recently kind of cracked they felt um a much improved coffee bag product because they'd changed the material and the material they changed was letting um slightly less kind of coffee residues through so it you, you, you didn't get as much sediment in the cup afterwards and then the second thing was they worked out a way to individually seal the coffee bags because um 
the air that gets in can make the coffee stale if you don't individually seal the bags. So when you buy a box of Taylor's coffee bags, you get, I think it is 10 standard in a, in a box. Um, and each of those bags is individually sealed in a sachet. So when you open it, you're going to get fresh, fresh coffee taste from, from the get go. Was there ever a major marketing push behind them that you're aware of from any brand? Not that I'm aware of. Um, they they this sort of a classic case of a kind of product that had had been launched badly a couple of times by a few different brands, never given any real support, and kind of always always less than half of one percent of the market had kind of languished in the bottom of the fixture, you know, the worst possible spot if you walk up to the fixture, um, bottom right-hand corner, you know, next <laughs> yeah, to the right. that everyone's not about that no one ever looks at. So, so yeah, they were around, um, and a couple of other brands, you know, were making a, a, a small, I guess, a small, a few sales out of them, but um, they, they, were, they were sort of forgotten, basically. Did you get a sense of what the perception of coffee bags were amongst the general public or amongst the target yeah, you were, were considering? Yeah, yeah, very much so. There was um, there was some research done, um, some some primary research, as you say, uh, done by Taylors, and, and and we were party to that, where we placed coffee bags in homes with the people who we thought would be the target to try them out, basically before they were launched, um, and the people who we thought and hoped would be the intended target were obviously the next age group down from the the kind of traditional tailors coffee consumer so we call them busy working adults they're effectively kind of busy um singles couples and families 30s 40s you know busy working week and it, therefore in theory would find the convenience and ease of um of coffee bags appealing and that research came back and basically said yes they love this product and and it actually suggested quite a lot of kind of ways in which we'll, i'm sure we'll come on to talk about um, because they they obviously loved the fact that um, there wasn't any mess to clean up afterwards when you use a French press or a cafetiere. You have to clean up all the grounds afterwards, which is something people don't yeah. always have time to don't want to do. Um, they loved that they didn't have to have a machine because not people don't necessarily always have copy equipment to hand. Um, you know, uh, uh, a filter machine. Filter machines are much less common, I would say, in the UK than they are in the US. I feel like in the US, there's always a coffee machine on the go somewhere, a filter machine, whereas in the UK, we don't have them that often. They sort of... Uh, it takes a bit of bother to get them out and get them going. Um, so so often people just don't have the gear to make a coffee. And the beauty of coffee bags, obviously, was you just need a kettle and a cup and a, yeah, and, a right. tea, and, and then you're good to go. And, and if there's one thing that, as you point out, in the UK, we have a lot of it's kettles because we drink <laughs> so much tea that, you know, every every office work cupboard or, or home has a kettle and a cup to hand. And, and the, the primary deliver, delivery product or packaging for tea in the UK is tea bags. So it's not, it, there is no, I mean, there is some more refined ways of getting to a cup of tea, but primarily it's, it's the tea bag, it's the hot water, that's it, let's go. So it's not like it's a major cultural shift or behavioral shift if you're a person who drinks tea and also enjoys coffee during a different use occasion, right? Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, we, as I say, three billion tea bags a year God, in a funny good. way perhaps it's that perhaps it's that level of familiarity with tea bags that that kind of means no one ever has ever really thought about it for coffee <laughs> because you associate it so strongly with one product type that um you just don't think about it for the other one so what was what was um taylor's hoped for use occasions for coffee bags um more weekday 
Um, so, you know, clearly when people are are, are busy during the week, um, they, they aren't going to be making themselves a complicated French press or yeah. box machine copy. So, so more kind of on the go, early morning, running out the door or, or at work, you know, in the, in the school, um, common room or the classroom at school, if you're a teacher and you've got a five minute break, um, or if you're on a building site and you've got a kettle and not allows, you know, classic, as you say, classic weekday running around, um, I need a I need a cup of something hot. I want a coffee, and, and I, I need the kick of a coffee, and I like the taste of fresh coffee, and I don't want to compromise by going to instant coffee, which you know is huge in this country. Let's be clear, precisely because of these reasons. So instant coffee is the go-to product for this cup of convenience normally if you want a coffee, but of course you compromise on taste versus actual fresh ground coffee. So what, I want to just revisit the question of of uh, perception. So in the research. What um, what was the perception of a coffee bag? What were the sort of negatives, the positives I get, but what were some of the negatives or what you might have thought of at the time as the hurdles to adoption? Um, not many product negatives. Um, people didn't kind of see. There's a little bit of a, a classic sort of question around, you know, can I can I compost them? It's the same as tea bags, actually. You know, there's a conversation in the UK at the moment about, you know, um, making sure that tea bags are biodegradable so that we can compost them so they don't leave an impact on the environment. Um, and actually, they they felt that the packaging around the tea bag, uh, around the coffee bag, I should say, was a little bit too big. And therefore, they were sort of feeling like it was a bit too much waste when they took off that secondary layer of packaging. So actually, one of the things Taylor's did was subsequently redesign the style of the box so that the amount of additional uh packaging to keep the bags fresh was was minimized so there's some small things like that but i would say um on the whole it was a case of where have these been all of my life <laughs> i think in the u.s because we're not a tea-based culture that the questions would be uh, the issues might be around quality the concern might be is this a really good quality uh, coffee or is it's compromised in some way either flavor or, or whatever but that wasn't the case in the uk so you didn't have to, you didn't have to deal with that issue i would guess primarily because you've got that tea bag culture i think also well a little bit but i think also because of the brand actually um yeah so a good point. As as, uh, the brand is a uh, taylor's is well respected even though it is kind of considered older um it, and, and a bit more traditional uh, for all the reasons i've mentioned above um it is it is also known to be high quality. Um, it's it's known to be kind of trusted, and it's known for fresh co- for fresh ground coffee as opposed to instant. I love the idea that you you put um, you sort of gave families as part of your sort of uh, strategic development process of exploration. You you literally gave families the tea bags or bag the coffee bags uh, in their home, let them trial, and then you you. Did you talk with them beforehand and then afterwards? Or what was the sort of methodology for understanding how people were reacting yeah, to it? There was a third-party research company, actually, that helped Taylor's do it. And, and we enjoyed hugely the sort of results. So um, they actually had um, lots of those people make uh, little kind of videos uh, in their offices or in their kitchens, um, you know, recorded nice. on their mobile phones. And, taught, and we gave them, you know, set questions you know, what did you think of these? What were the advantages? What were the disadvantages? When would you use it? And um, it produced a really, you know, even though it wasn't many people, it produced a really rich picture of um, 
of yeah, why the, why this product was compelling. You gather all of this information, you guys look at it, and then I believe you came up with uh, maybe five different strategic platforms that you yeah. work off of, which is which is really where the core of this case begins to unfold when we talk about the power of the obvious. So, without giving away the big uh, uh, <laughs> the, the the big aha, let's let's talk about the five platforms because this is the way we would typically work right which is the strategist would go away and we, we might develop a couple of different strategic pathways we could head down then we start to socialize it internally at the agency let's just uh, let's yeah, summarize each of the five platforms which people would probably be be familiar with in terms of their themes can you can we go yeah. through that yeah of course i mean and it's um it's sort of not often is it that you get a completely new product as a planner um to work with uh and and we got very excited basically yeah. um because we had a new product we had all this great research input and a, and a lovely client i should say they're the most wonderful client so we got very excited and as you say we developed a number of potential sort of positionings for this product and how, how we would launch it into market so the first one was um basically you can now have real coffee anywhere so that was all about portability the idea that previously the sort of you couldn't necessarily have real coffee up a mountain or you couldn't have real coffee um you know running around at work because the the material the machines aren't there to make it and and it's too much bother and faff you can now have real coffee anywhere so we were then excited about doing you know you can imagine stunts up the top of mountains and you know talking all all, all about the different places you can enjoy the product so we like that the right. second territory was um was about the weekday versus weekend thing that i talked about before so um we were talking about you know real coffee for the weekdays this is this is great tasting real coffee that you can now have um on the days when previously you would have had to go to instant or have a cup of tea because real coffee has previously been a little bit more restricted to um to to the weekend occasion as i talked about or or maybe after dinner and in, in in the week so second territory was all around kind of let's make it the kind of monday to friday on the go uh way to have a real coffee basically then the third territory was a sort of almost a like classic functional let's just kind of attack all the mess and faff and bother of having to make real coffee at the moment so the grinds in the sink and the washing up afterwards and all of the hardware and the you know the equipment you have to buy you don't need any of that anymore because coffee bags now exist so that was the third territory the fourth one was a kind of reframe strategy so the fourth one was oh let's anchor ourselves in instant because <laughs> instant is the instant is the current um default convenience coffee and let's basically say you don't need to have instant anymore because you can now have all that convenience but with fresh coffee so let's anchor ourselves not to the high end of the market but anchor ourselves to the low end which is actually huge in the uk um and i and there was even a line kicking around that we kind of you know when planners write lines and get excited about them which was uh, you'll be an instant convert um we like this <laughs> right. idea that you'll you'll literally instantly convert Pardon from instant. pun. yeah yeah exactly well there you go there's plan plans love puns um and then the last territory was a kind of um champion of the people uh saving britain from shit coffee um <laughs> approach because you know so many people are basically having to um to have a substandard cup of coffee because they need whatever's convenient, but they're not necessarily getting the good stuff. So that's like the instant coffee drinker, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, maybe at least at the, at the uh, entry level end. Yeah. So, so you've got these, you've got these five um, 
sort of creative platforms almost that were where where you um when you're probably feeling excited about it all planners are you get this all together and then you start to socialize it internally tell us how that begins with when you talk begin talking to creative yeah so we 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 were working with a a great creative director called charlie and a, a lovely um and very talented sort of slightly my junior team called george and lizzie um who interestingly wrote some of the Amazon work you were talking about earlier. Ah. Um, and um, uh, and I, I, we ran a kind of workshop stroke briefing where we, we gave them the five territories and then we gave them some time and they started producing kind of scamps and ad sets against each territory so we could start to kind of explore how each one would begin to come to life. But they, but but as they were doing this, they kept because we were sort of obviously very excited about the opportunity and all of our innovative thinking, and so we were we were sort of saying this is an amazing thing and these products are going to this is going to revolutionise the way people drink coffee, and as as creators often do, and I think as normal human beings sometimes do when faced with a planner's enthusiasm, they just kept saying yeah, but they're just tea bags with coffee in them. Like there's nothing that clever about it. <laughs> <laughs> it was almost like they they were sort of slightly underwhelmed with the product which which obviously you know made us want to sort of redouble our efforts in in trying to convince them of this world-changing innovation um and i think what kind of happened in that uh sort of week or two process of workshopping those territories but their repeated sort of questions and slight doubts um about the kind of about this product it it, it made us as planners i think just take a bit of a step back. And I think this was the really important moment in this case, because I guess we could have probably pushed on and said, well, we we think we're right. And 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 one of these or more than one of these creative platforms is and strategies is the right thing to pursue. But actually, it just made us wonder, have we missed an even more obvious take on this, which is to admit that these are quite obvious. Um, is there a creative strategic approach in saying to people yeah okay these are really quite an obvious idea uh, and actually the more we talked about that with the team the more we thought that's really where our collective energies feel like they're highest let's rewrite the brief and 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 focus on that it must have been very deflating for, for you guys as the for you briefing creative when this came up was there some pushback and battle in terms of a conversation around well yeah but we <laughs> should you know i mean how did that go how did that conversation go because I, i'm sure you didn't immediately just kind of go oh yeah you're right let's abandon our four weeks of brilliant thinking yeah i um it did take a little while i, I think i'd like to hope that that i remain humble enough as a planner to sort of always question my own thinking and I think, um, and I think also George and Lizzie actually are far too nice to ever say, no, we're not working on it. We don't believe you. You know, th- it was not a case of kind of hitting a brick wall. They did, as I say, they actually developed some kind of early work from um, those strategic territories we were just outlining. But as we were talking, I think it's quite important, isn't it, as a planner to feel where the energy is and where the kind of creative excitement is in the room. Um, as you go and be prepared to question your own initial strategic assumptions and ask yourself, have I missed a more obvious answer? So I hope it was a sort of combination of them being 
terribly polite and nice in how they said it rather than terribly unpleasant and me hopefully having the humility along with Caroline actually who was a junior planner who was working on it with me to, to recognize you know maybe we've missed something kind of obvious here and then it was quite quickly that George and Lizzie then having been rebriefed on this strategy of like let's admit that these things are obvious um they quite quickly then came back with um a new piece of work that quite excited us which was um which was a forerunner to the eventual idea um where they'd written a script in which various people throughout history so in the kind of ancient china and the british empire etc had the idea for coffee bags let's put coffee in bags and then were unceremoniously killed by kind of natural disasters or you know landslides all kinds of things before they could put the plan into action and then the line they had on the end of that was um why did no one think of these before and we all thought that was already you know better than anything else we've seen these are people throughout history who tell explain a little bit further yeah so the first the first version of the idea they came back with was um the line was why did no one think of these before? And then they had imagined that various people had, in fact, thought of them, thought of putting coffee in bags before at various points in, you know, history. So, as I say, kind of ancient China, um, uh, Middle Ages, you know, all the way up to the British Empire. Um, but the people who had that idea of putting coffee in bags were then killed before they could um before they could basically come up and create and launch the product so it was and the the joke of course was you know these are so obvious you know it's a remarkable that no one's come up with them before there must be some there must be some explanation for why these things have never been done before And, and it made us all it made us all laugh from the off and we actually showed a version of that that was the first thing we presented to the client on this platform i think there were some posters as well which was which said things like um, how come mankind put someone in space before they put coffee in bags and things like that? Right, right. Yeah, I have I have one of them here in front of me. It says, "Yeah, how come humans put a dog in space before they put coffee in in bags?" Another one says, <laughs> "How come mankind worked out the human genome before it worked out coffee bags?" Tell us about what happens when you take it to the client. What was what was their reaction to it? So they were. They're a brilliant client, as I say. I think I think they're genuinely one of the best clients I've ever worked with, and they um, they loved it, and they were excited by it. And I think they bought the strategy, but um, they didn't want to buy that work. And the reason was they pointed out rightly, as we talked about earlier on. Unfortunately, some people had come up with it before because there were had been these failed launches of coffee bags over the decades and if you went into supermarkets you could if you rooted around the bottom of the fixture you could still find those old products listed somewhere and some places so they were nervous that if they went out with the campaign that said why did no one think of them before these other coffee manufacturers could say well we did and they would be in for a kind of pr fight so they were not happy with the work even though they were intrigued by the strategy what does the team do after that to sort of recover? Was it was it a sense of we're doomed, we got to go in a completely different direction, or was it something else? No, in, in fairness, I think actually I, I'm, I'm painting a picture that the client kind of brought the axe down. The truth is the clients are very clever and creative and good. And what they actually said was, can you find a way to fix this problem, not please kill it? So we went away 
asking ourselves, look, they, they love the strategy. They like the core idea. It's just the way we've expressed it um, creatively as executions and maybe in words is, is raising this danger of a kind of PR backlash because someone else did think of them before. How can we fix that? And then we sat around as a team, as you often do, and I think this is where most of the best solutions come from, and we realised we could admit that we hadn't come up with them before. And if we said, if we made the whole idea that why didn't we think of them before, we being tailors, it would actually be more appealing because it's humbler. And the British love a humble, self-deprecating uh, brand that doesn't take itself too seriously. So the idea that this brand, as you say, that's got 125, whatever it is, years history, would say, look, how come in 125 years we've never thought of putting coffee in bags. <laughs> that, that suddenly solved the problem of the PR and potentially made the work better. Um, and what was interesting was we realised then, as you've just said, that we probably needed to get to know Taylor's history a bit better. And so we went and talked to their archivist. This is, I think this is quite a good example of planning, doing what it sometimes needs to, but doesn't get you know fully, rec- fully kind of acknowledged for, which is just protect protect the work, protect the idea and help shape the execution. So um, I and a, and a colleague of mine rang the archivist at Taylor's along with the creatives and we all went through the kind of history books basically of the, of the brand and they took us through some of the kind of eras of Taylor's history. So its original kind of um, plantations in um, uh, Asia and in South America that it would use to get the coffee um, in the 18 kind of 90s through to how it used to transport the coffee over then in kind of 1930s on boats and trains, all the way up to its kind of 70s, 80s heyday. And we use that to rewrite the work so that the story of the ad takes place throughout Taylor's history. And it's people who work for Taylor's who are coming up with the idea of coffee bags and then dying before they can do anything about it. (laughs) (laughs) I want to drop a couple of the spots in here. Do you want to just explain... Um, what's happening in, in in these spots before I drop them in? Yeah, so um, so so the the what you're hearing is uh, I think firstly a couple in a hot air balloon over one of the plantations in the 1890s, and uh, the woman has the idea of coffee bags, and uh, but before the man can react and say that's brilliant, um, their hot air balloon is punctured by a passing bird and they fall to their deaths, <laughs> and then and then you hear a man. Uh, on a train who's saying clearly a train I think it's transporting coffee across the continent and he says to his uh his his colleague I've got it we can put coffee in bags and uh, as he's leaning on the door to sort of think about this great thought he's had the door opens and he falls out to his death um <laughs> and so on and so forth so basically it's a series a series of people having this this great idea it's the explanation for why why didn't we think of it before well we did but unfortunately it never quite made it to reality coffee bags why didn't they think of this before here's an idea we could just put the coffee in oh dear i've got it why don't we put the coffee in the way i swear monty there must be a better way why don't we just put the blasted coffee in it's so simple, we just take You take the bags, forget it. We should just put the coffee in bags. 
What's this groundbreaking idea you've got? Hello? Hello? Taylor's coffee bags, ground coffee in a bag. Why didn't we think of them before? This is the beauty of this. There's not only the idea of this sort of theme of obvious, uh, the power of obvious, but you carry that that theme of obvious into your sort of your con strategy. Uh, tell us a little bit about what happened in terms of or how you used various uh, um, various channels to get the message out. Yeah, so um, the media agency who work on Taylor's and Yorkshire actually are Good Stuff, who are an independent uh, UK media agency, and they're brilliant and always very creative and um, impressive when it comes to thinking about the comp strategies go with the creative work. And um, yeah, they they basically said, well, look, you know, it's an obvious product, brilliantly obvious. Let's make sure we put it in the brilliantly obvious places so people can see it and find out about it. So um, the mainstay of the kind of, uh, of the plan was TV because TV gives us the reach, but then they added um, video on demand and uh, paid social to sort of make sure we reach some of those lighter TV viewers. I thought one of the cleverest things they did, as you said, was just think really hard about the out-of-home environments where they could reach those people who are on the go and busy. So exactly that kind of busy, coffee-loving audience who maybe don't have time to make coffee any other way. So that's why out-of-home came onto the plan. And they also did kind of um, location-based social um, for the same reason. And then, you know, with the shopper marketing agency, we then we went through to sampling as well. Um so good stuff, and they organised for hundreds of thousands of coffee bags. It was almost half a million coffee bags to be given away um, at commuter stations to sort of people on the way into work, where there's a kettle and they could try this product out, or at festivals or events where people, you know, are, are literally intense and all they've got is a pan of hot water, but they can still have a nice coffee. Um, and then finally, we we literally went into the supermarkets themselves and we made sure that the the product was a, was seen, you know, on the trolleys um with 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 um space there or yeah just in on posters on the on the door as you walk through and on shelf etc so it was a kind of simple and obvious but but ultimately very effective way to make sure that people the right people saw it at every stage of the consumer journey when we look back at the at the five different creative strategies um unfortunately what happens a lot is that clients might say I really like obvious, you know, but I really liked uh, number three that you originally, or whatever that would be, that you originally presented. Should we test one versus the other? So, so my question mm. to you is, did you mm. test any work or, 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 or was there an appetite for that? Or, or how did it, or did everybody just like the same idea and you went with it? Do you know what? Genuinely to their credit, we didn't test it. And um, and that's not to say we don't ever test things with this client. Sometimes we do a little bit of kind of checking our own gut before we we we, we run stuff. The, yeah. the subsequent the subsequent campaign, actually, the, the follow on campaign to Coffee Bags for the next set of products they launched, we did a bit of quality test that. But I would say that you're right. I mean, I'm very lucky, and we are very lucky that um, the Taylor's clients are our clients because in this instance, they have the the guts and their belief in the idea to just run it. Um, and I think it helps that they're a family run business, independent, you can in control of their own destiny and, you know, ultimately without lots of shareholders to answer to. So, um, but I also think it helps that they're just very talented marketeers. The marketing objective, objective, as I understand it, was to achieve a 4% penetration in UK households. 
Can you tell us, uh, is that is that true? And then what what did you end up with in terms of results, both in terms of that and, and, and the other metrics that you could share? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, it was interesting because it's a new, sort of a new product category we're creating really within, within coffee. Um, so it's hard to sort of set targets, um, but they set fairly stretched goals for themselves. So I think penetration was around 1% prior to the campaign. And the idea was to, quadruple it almost up to four percent of all uk households it doesn't sound like a lot but you're still kind of trying to increase the market fourfold basically in a short space of time um and what was that space uh, of time by the way just so we know uh i think that was i think that was the first year i think i think that was the first 12 months although i think a lot of of results i'm going to quote are over kind of 80 an 18 month period actually because we ran the campaign in the end for about 18 months i think um and we achieved that, which was fantastic. I mean, to be honest with you, um, I have a chart which is pretty much one of my favourite charts as a as a planner because <laughs> you can look at the weekly sales levels of coffee bags um, as a category and specifically tailored within it, and they just go through the roof whenever the work is on air, and then they remain higher when it when it finishes. So you can literally see. And I guess this is the beauty of introducing the public to something new. You can literally see advertising building a category um, in steps where it's like it was nothing. Now it's something. Now it's bigger. Now it's bigger. And every time the work goes on air, it jumps again. Um, it's, it's honestly one of my one of my favorite charts. Um, there was a slight um, problem caused by that, of course, which is we we <laughs> we, we basically we kind of broke their factory. They couldn't make enough product. Um, and they and we had to come off air for a bit while they caught up. Um, <laughs> which is, it. It's something that they, they don't like me talking about that too much because they say it doesn't make <laughs> our forecasting guys look very good. <laughs> and also importantly, um, it did bring in lots of those younger consumers. So I think it brought you know about four hundred thousand new um, consumers into the brand, um, and a lot of them were in that busy working adult uh, age group. Um, that the brand had struggled with. So it began very slowly to kind of modernize the brand. And I'm sure you'll you'll realize that the kind of tone of voice of the work as well helped helped with that. The lesson here, I think, is for this case, uh, the lesson for planners is that don't ignore the obvious, right? And um, but the the bigger question becomes when do you know when the obvious is strong enough? And because obvious, obvious sometimes can just not be fruitful. And so I'm curious. Do you do you have a do you have an opinion on that about in this case, you know why did obvious why was obvious the right choice? Yeah, it's hard that isn't it because it's you what you yeah. sort of want to you you kind of want to put like a a rule on it or a, or a measurement or something. But the truth is, it's funny when I was at a previous agency when I was at Mother, we did a we were asked by a client to do a little book of. They wanted like to know how do I know when an idea is good, which is like the ultimate, the million dollar question, obviously. Um, and so we did them a little book of of tests, like, and they were all kind of gut reactions in one way or another to an idea when you first see it. And we were trying to kind of teach them how to how we assess ideas, I suppose, um, instinctively as creative people and as, as strategists in agencies. And one of our tests was. Um, was kind of we called it the forehead slap test. Like we had a picture of Homer Simpson doing his famous forehead slap, and I guess it's the why didn't I think of that test? And I I think I think the best advice I can give is if you have a very strong instinctive yeah why didn't I think of that? That that is really obvious, so obvious I can't believe no one's ever done it before. But hang on a minute, that might mean it's absolutely brilliant. Um, I feel like 
that reaction is just something you shouldn't ignore. When it, whether it's a product, as it must have been, you know, that, that must have been the case for, for tailors, or whether it's a creative strategy, as it was for us when we realised we could celebrate the obviousness of the product, or whether it's the work itself when you see this idea of people dying before they can invent the thing. It just all feels right and obvious, doesn't it? And I guess as planners, we need to, and as people in agencies full start, we just need to learn to listen to that when it happens to us. Laz Horner, strategist at Lucky Generals in London. Thank you so much for coming on. This was a great, fun conversation. It's it's smart work and and let's uh, let's never forget the power of the obvious, right? Yeah, right. Thank you, Fergus. Thanks so much for having me. It's been really good fun. Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of fun here too. So we'll see everybody in the next episode.